unlimited food meant limited life. Limited food has meant unlimited life. We can do it together. Food Addiction is a podcast which explores the disease of food addiction and presents the solution. We interview professionals and counselors who specialize in the disease of food addiction, and we interview individuals who have successfully recovered from food addiction and discuss how they did it. Esther Helga Goodmans Dotier was motivated to change careers after she recovered from food addiction by opening a food addiction treatment center and the INFACT School, the world's first and only sugar and food addiction counseling training, which offers a recognized certification. Check out the website for more information on obtaining this certification, as well as proven recovery programs at infactschool.com. Listen to these episodes as we discuss the problem and the solution around food addiction. I'm Susan Branscombe. I am a recovered food addict and the host of this podcast, Food Addiction. As was mentioned in the intro to the Food Addiction podcast, we explore the disease of food addiction and present the solution. We interview professionals and counselors who specialize in the disease of food addiction, and we interview individuals who have successfully recovered from food addiction and discuss how they did it. Today, we will be talking to a person who has successfully recovered from food addiction and talk about how she did it. So Sonia B. is here. Welcome, Sonia. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. Yes, you're welcome. And so glad uh, you're taking the time and, uh, and talking about um, your journey. Um, I uh, appreciate you agreeing to, to be a guest today. And um, as with all of our food addict guests, we use the first name and last initial for the sake of anonymity. Um, so let's get started. Let's um, well, let me ask you, you identify as a food addict, right? I do. Okay. Uh, and um, let's start with your early childhood. Uh, we had a pre-podcast talk, and as you look back on your early childhood, you said you knew um, you look back as, as a young child and you consider how you behaved around food, and it wasn't normal. Talk about that. Sure. Thank you, Susan. So as I was thinking about this, ironically, I had a conversation in the last 24 hours about a conversation I had on, on a plane uh, back 15 years ago. And I had my meal with me because at that time, it was very difficult to find the foods that are not triggers for me in airports. So I was bringing my food then, and I still do now if I travel, but there's, it's a much more accessible world to those of us who are recovering from food addiction mm -hmm. than it was back in the mid-2000s. So here's my, uh, my comment to this world-renowned health professional who asked... Um, at the conclusion of a two-hour conversation, said to me, well, I have good news for you. We're working on a drug that would allow you to have sugar and desserts again someday. And I said, you could not give me a million dollars to put sugar in its processed state, in its non-fruit, whole food state, into this body. And he looked at me like, right. Mm -hmm. And I said, I am serious. I, I ran a 37-year experiment with putting sugar in my body. And I ultimately when it came down to what i really said i valued which was endurance for daily living the ability to make decisions about food that didn't feel like i was drawing the line and crossing the line and drawing the line and crossing the line again i had decided that this body had proved to me 
that it does not handle some foods the way that others may be able to eat with abandon. Right. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that, but uh, talk about your, your childhood. You know now, as you look back as a three-year-old, you know, that, that oh, absolutely. wasn't normal, right? You know, taking it back to three um, from that 37-year-old that I was at that time, mm-hmm. taking it back to three, the things that I remember about my childhood largely centered around the ingredients that triggered me. Mm -hmm. and the transport foods that they came in Mm -hmm. and sugar, sugar, fat, and flour in its white refined form were absolutely mind and state of being altering and produced an effect in my body that my memory calls to mind when I think of those poignant moments of my childhood. Mm-hmm. What was it like? You're a three-year-old, you're, you're eating sugar, and you're not behaving like other kids. I mean, give me, a, give me an example. So one of my noted family stories about my food addiction was uh, laughed about just that I was lost. They couldn't find me. My grandparents had packed the car and were getting ready to go to California, and several of us had had uh, been invited to send them off. It was a big deal in my small Midwestern town that they were taking off on this adventure and they were business owners. They very rarely got away. And so they were also thrifty. So they had their food packed in the car and I was nowhere to be found. And where they found me was with a package of basically sugar that was transporting itself with lefsa and butter. Mm-hmm. And define lefsa um, for it is a Scandinavian staple and anyone who might be of Scandinavian roots might know about it. And it is best when you're a sugar addict if it is buttered and sugared and it's potatoes, um, it's right? A, potatoes like a flat and, yeah. bread, right. So it produced a glycemic hit in multiple ways for me. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the noted stories. So they Uh, found you, you were eating this, is it Lefsa? Packaged. Packaged. Uh, So where, where is Sonia? Uh, She, we we find her eating these, these things. Hiding in the back seat with the Lefsa, you know, and um, that's, that's where they found me. Mm-hmm. Other memories, you know, my grandmother used to freeze these fruit cups that were full of a syrupy, sugary, and they were a key memory at that grandmother's. Another would, who was not the best baker, but I took my sugar as good as I could get it wherever <laughs> I was. So her frozen brownies oh. burned slightly. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. Yeah. You know, that I took what I could get. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you knew, you knew early on. And one of my things was mixing peanut butter and syrup when I was a kid, peanut butter and like maple syrup. That was, that was one of my things to get my sugar hit. So, um, but you continued um, to use food as a child and uh, teenage adult, early adult years. Talk about those times and how, as you look back, you knew you were different than other young, young women. Yes. If I look back at my school pictures, and of course, all of this is in reflection. I did not know that sure. I was, yeah. I didn't know that I had a different relationship. And I kind of just plowed ahead anyway and let the um, addiction lead me. And, um, and I still would be if I would have been able, if I wouldn't have been trading the best life that I couldn't seem to give up wanting. Um, I would have settled for what my food addiction would give me. And um, I, by the age of 10, um, I had asked my mom, you know, what's, what's this about the, the fat that was accumulating around my middle. Mm. And she said to me, Oh, it's just baby fat. It'll, (laughs) you'll grow. It'll be gone. Well, by 10, I am finding myself in the room of, uh, old weigh and pay called take off pounds sensibly 
And I don't know if it's still around, but that was my first attempt to control and enjoy my eating. And I got positive reinforcement from, I remember other mothers of friends of mine saying, you know, Sonia, it looks like you've lost some weight. And that was positive, but it didn't mean more to me than feeling different Mm -hmm. in the moment. And of course, the food was unlimited at my house. And I didn't have other people that looked like they had a problem with food in the house. And so I was starting to be chubby at 10, but then I sprouted up and I was involved in athletics and Mm -hmm. band and chorus and other things. And those uniforms for those activities uh, really became the first painful moments where I started to trade in what really made my heart sing. I didn't, wouldn't have called it that at that time, you know, time on the basketball court, time on the softball field, time continuing to be a part of teams, you know, whether mm-hmm. it was the marching band or they all required some uniformity. And uh, back at that, in that era, the uniforms were not accommodating like no. they are today to different sizes. So I started to have some humiliating moments. Sure. My, you know, band pants didn't fit mm-hmm. and I knew it coming into the fall concert and I didn't try them on until right after practice, whatever sport I was in mm. at that time. And the moment I needed to be down on the floor. So my parents are sitting in the auditorium there's no Sonia in the saxophone section. Oh. And I was, I loved the sax and I loved jazz band, but I loved my food more mm-hmm. than I loved those uh, things that I was learning and growing and mm-hmm. excelling in. How, how I, um, much extra weight at that time do you think you might have been carrying when you were having Maybe trouble? 15 pounds. Okay. You know, when I look at the numbers today that I had, charted and graphed back then, Mm -hmm. you know, really, it was like 15 pounds. So then I had started this age 10 to age 16, uh, trying to control and enjoy, but I was aided by growing up in sports Mm -hmm. at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I was in, I was in sports too, and played a lot of, a lot of sports, but I, I still like to eat. So I didn't really reach, um, trouble managing my weight or until I was in puberty until 13, 14. So, um, so child, teenage years, early adult years. And at some point you became a late stage food addict like me. And so talk about the uh, journey. There was a point, I think in your life where you gained a significant amount of weight, um, you know, early in your life. So talk about your journey. I did. You know, I started to want to date um, more so and just things that normal teens were doing. Sure. And it was clear that the weight, I was getting comments, um, harsh comments, some from family. And, uh, you know, just definitely felt it was time that I took off some weight. So I went to a national weight loss and I would say that I turned into a critical level food addict at that point because the food, um, there were triggers obviously in their pre-prepared boxed food uh, that started me on binging cycles. I wasn't getting enough food So I lost weight. I got a lot of uh, kudos for that and very promptly went on a rampage of lack of ability to control my compulsive eating and being late for school because I had to stop at the bakery. Mm. I had to have that. And it didn't matter if I was going to be late or not. When it all, when my car got to that point, it didn't matter. I had to turn in. Right. And, yeah. um, you know, those smells mm-hmm. and I still could bring them to my senses, you know, of, of what I was drawn to and how it was such a chain mm-hmm. that pulled my car right into the bakery front store right. door. Yeah, no, we use it. We, we crave it. Um, and once you have it, it sets up the craving to have more. Right. Uh, but 
I seem to recall from your story that you there was a point where you you gained a significant amount of weight. I I know that you have lost nearly 100 pounds and and maintained that weight loss, and we're going to get into that part of the story. But there was a point, and I can't remember if it was college or or high school, that there was a a significant weight gain. It was high school. Okay. So I did two rounds. Of, I did one round. I lost weight. Then I gained about 75 pounds yeah. in this and had attempted another pay at that national weight loss. And I just couldn't. I had no control anymore. Yeah. So I gained about 75 at that time progressively, you know, put on more so. And, and as you mentioned, I've, I've kept off 96 pounds. Mm-hmm. Since my uh, early to mid, some may call thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, and you know, carrying around fifteen pounds is one thing in high school, and, and I did. But carrying around seventy-five pounds in high school, talk about what that was like. I mean, the shame of it, and and uh, boys, uh, other girls, uh, you know, what it was like to go to high school carrying seventy-five extra pounds. Yes. I had to be very funny oh. and, um, you know, had a great personality mm. and, um, and I was very sad inside, but I was wearing a smile all the time and it was incredibly painful and I numbed it with more food and then, you know, eventually alcohol and, and other things that mm-hmm. sugar makes drinkable and edible and sure so yeah well we're we are each uh food addicts Sonia um I share this with you we we went to the pay and weigh places we each used diets for many years to try to control our weight and our food uh with diets and you said 37 years you did this I did it for 43 years and uh so talk about your experience there with the diets and um, you are, I think, successful in your life in many ways. Uh, but if you're like me, I could be successful in many areas of my life, but I just could not do this. I could, I could diet really well and lose weight, but I would always gain it back. So tell us about your experience there. Yes, I, I feel very blessed. I mean, by the grace of God, some areas of my life got uh, – prioritized and and the food frankly helped me with my anxiety for um, you know staying in college finishing college going getting a job learning uh, to work and be a worker among workers and learning I could get some of the self-worth that I was continuing to diminish um, in that I couldn't keep my word to myself with what I was going to eat that day, I worked hard and was able to continue to grow in responsibility and authority in my career, which somewhat served to help me avoid what was happening with the evidence of the food. And I, and I did have times where I tried um, diuretics. I tried laxatives. I tried uh, anorexia mm-hmm. for a moment. Yeah. Um, but I definitely, I definitely just leaned into the compulsively eating to soothe over the decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I did too. I did um, restricting with diuretics, with uh, exercise, used exercise to eat more, more of what I wanted, and laxatives. I mean, I think a lot of us as food addicts. You can put us in the category of bingers and restrictors sometimes, um, still all the while trying to control our food and our weight in these ways, right? So um, so you and I share this in common as well. I was a nighttime eater, and in the middle of the night, I would, I would wake up. Um, I could not get back to sleep, and I would tell myself, if I just eat something, I can go back to sleep, which I did and I would. Um, sometimes it was not unhealthy food, but many times it was something with carbs in it so I could 
you know, so I could have that effect of just, I don't know, safety, a full feeling so I could get back to sleep. And of course, the blood from the brain goes to the stomach and it helps to go back to sleep. And this was an old habit of yours and a pretty hard one to break. So talk about that. Yes, my earliest memories of night eating were the, you know, particular freezers in, in the house that we were living in at the time. So I would say as early as probably uh, 10 to 13, just prepubescent, I was definitely ramping up in my night eating and uh, ate by freezer light for years, mm. uh, you know, up into my early 30s. It was one of the things that was clearly powerlessness for me. And um, and and I went for frozen. I went for ice cream. I don't know if it was because it was so comforting to having, but I, I also was an ice chewer. Mm. I was a blanket sucker. So there was like an oral fixation that something would soothe me. Mm some soother would soothe me if I just could get it inside of this emptiness that I was feeling inside, mm. perhaps. Yeah. Um, but definitely the night eating started, you know, somewhere I would say between 10 and 13 and, and mm -hmm. it continued. Yeah. Tell me about the, tell me about the, uh, the oral fixation you're talking about and the, um, the connection there to the emptiness and, we talk about this, the food addiction being a brain disease, but there are emotional components. There are things that happen in our childhood that I think set us up, uh, you know, for uh, to be food addicts in, a, in an emotional way. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm an emotional eater, but I'm also a food addict, uh, so I can be both. But uh, was there anything in particular in your childhood in terms of um, how your childhood was that, that you feel contributed to the emptiness? You know, it's a great question, but now I've talked to so many other food addicts that um, don't have those things that I always was ruminating at. This has got to be the reason, you know, and I was just trying to figure out like, why, 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 why? This right. is so maddening. And I had some of the childhood traumas that um, many move through when there's addiction in the house. Mm -hmm. And I had some instances that, uh, you know, I was sitting with a girlfriend and I had said that I thought because I had some sexual abuse and that I experienced in my early um, years that I was binging and this is why I was binging on Chinese with her. And she, she said, she was pretty candid and she said, okay, you mean to tell me that you're, you're binging on this with me right now because of something that happened 10 years ago, you know? And so I was in, I was maybe 20, 21 mm -hmm. in college. And um, I was already, I was trying to find some reason why I, you know, just couldn't seem to do anything about this mm -hmm. weight thing. Yeah, so you had sexual abuse in your in your childhood and you grew up with addiction in your in your home. Am I right? I did. Okay. All right. Yeah. You're you're not alone there. I mean, a lot of people in uh in the programs we work um have had this and uh you know, the the food addiction is a brain disease where addicts because of the ingesting of it, but then there are other things that go on too where food uh, does allow us to comfort ourselves, to make us feel better. If we're not valued or really emotionally supported in ways unconditionally, we use food for comfort, right? So it's it, it gets a bit complex, I think. Oh, it does. Yeah. And I had TMJ and I bit my cheek for most of my life. On the inside, I had an indentation. So until I gave up sugar and wheat... I had these responses to withdrawal that were continual. You know, mm. the first time I had a chiropractor tell me when I was 30, for the first time I heard from a medical professional, you know, you're addicted to sugar and wheat. Mm -hmm. And um, were you chewing on your you withdrawal from sugar? You mean you were chewing on your jaw because of you were withdrawing from sugar and it was a habit? 
Possibly. Okay. But I was definitely uh, grinding my teeth mm-hmm. horribly yeah. until in the middle of the night until I gave up sugar and wheat. And I think during the day, rather than grinding my teeth, I was biting on the inside of my cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, I chew, chewed ice. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, some, you know, the there crunch. was something in yeah. me that was frustrated. Yeah, the crunch. Yeah, I used uh, chips and salsa uh, in the crunch. It's a trigger food for me. I can't do it. But my TMJ was so bad, and I ground, grinded my teeth at night that I had jaw surgery in 1985 and had my jaw broken and reset. I mean, it was so bad. Um, so maybe there's some connection there. We don't know. I have to have to look into that. Um, so, yeah, um, so you had a – you had – quite a history of, of using food. And, uh, uh, you and I share this, we are both recovered alcoholics. Uh, you have been sober from alcohol since July 4th, 1991. I got sober June 1st, 2012. And we often know as food addicts, um, alcohol is also can be an addiction among other things. I mean, gambling, behavioral addictions and things. Um, so we are doubly addicted. Uh, many times people call it double winners, but uh, I got sober first, and then I got abstinent from um, from food addiction. So talk about your experience with alcohol. You, I believe, you were in a treatment program for it. Yes, and um, interestingly enough, the woman who helped who helped me to find that program, she wrote in the evaluation, you had to have four people write about you and answer these questions. And she wrote, uh, Sonia binges on, on sugar and chocolate and her face breaks out um, immensely in acne as a result of it. So here I am sitting in this program having to read aloud the situations. I mean, how uncool with these other... <laughs> How old Alcoholic. Were you? She's she's you know. How old were you? Temple based. I was twenty. Okay. At that time. Yeah. So that was nineteen ninety. Okay. Um, I tended toward sweet drinks mm-hmm. or hard liquor. I don't think there's any mistake in that. I was looking for effect, um, but I also was looking to get my sugar addiction answered to a greater degree with some of those drinks too. And yeah. So, um, yeah, we know that there's a lot of sugar in alcohol, uh, but for, for me, and I don't know if this was the way it was for you, I used alcohol to, to get away from the anxiety, you know, to deal with the feelings, to feel, better just to just to kind of get away from the intensity of of emotions and things going on anger frustration fears and resentments of course um and so i used alcohol and food um and it sounds like was your was your um experience similar well i think the human body is amazing and it will build up tolerances to try to persevere in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. So I think that eventually the food was not enough. The cigarette butts that I was, you know, sneaking and smoking from my parents' ashtrays clearly weren't going to be enough. And then eventually it was the, the food, the booze, the cigarettes, the shopping, whatever Mm -hmm. process was hitting the dopamine for Mm -hmm. me. But at its root, I have to vigilantly remember that the ingredients that are triggers for me are still triggers for me, Mm -hmm. even though, by the grace of God, I haven't had to put them in my body Mm -hmm. since 2005. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. um, Now, yeah, we're going to start talking about recovery uh, for you, but... uh, as far as the alcoholism, um, what was there anything in particular that happened that uh, where somebody said you've got to go to treatment, or did did you decide on your own that you needed to recover in that way? 
I was just spiraling into mm. a depression that I knew was too scary and too dark. I was suicidal. I, and that scared me because I really was a uh, fun, loving, party girl yeah. is what I wanted to be. Yeah. Not a depressed, sad sack. Yeah. And I couldn't put up the show any longer. Yeah. 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 I, I actually called myself party girl before I got sober. And I just thought that was a neat thing to be party girl, uh, which was really an excuse to drink more than other people <laughs> did. Um, so, um, but you are, um, you are 52 year old, 52 years old now. Um, you arrived in 12 step, uh, food addiction recovery at the age of about 32, right? Right. And then I think you became abstinent fully from sugar, your trigger foods, flour, wheat at 35 years old. Right. Right. So you were 20 or so when you got sober. And then if you're like me, you continued to use food, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you've released and maintained the weight loss of about 100 pounds. So talk about that. You're abstinent from sugar and wheat, uh, food behaviors. Uh, you don't you had to work at the nighttime nocturnal eating, uh, but talk about the foods that gave you problems and food behaviors and what uh, what the start of recovery looked like. Yes, the evidence, Susan, of the foods that trigger the addiction are the greatest asset I have because they guide my recovery every day. Hmm. And I am recovering in that every day I get a new choice on whether I'm going to follow through with the food plan that I've laid out and committed based on a nutritionist guidance. Uh, and I, you know, during pregnancy and breastfeeding and transitions in the time frame that I have been free of, of sugar and wheat, I have, uh, you know, had my nutritionist alter my food plan for different needs mm -hmm. at the time. But um, that guidance has been my, my watch list for what might be enduring energy for my body. And in order to stay in that recovery, I've got to put the scaffolding in place, just like any building that's being remodeled uh, while in year, which is mm -hmm. really what was happening. Mm -hmm. I was being remodeled while in year, yeah. mostly benefiting from the diminishment of the structure that I had yeah. been given to work with. Yeah. Well, we talk about... Uh talk about the bottom and it sounds like you reached that in alcoholism and, and your alcohol use when you were reasonably young I mean 20 and then you're like me you dieted for many years um, and then you got into food addiction recovery but you didn't get abstinent right away um, and we all talk about a bottom in our disease uh, when did you realize that you really in 2005 I think it was that you, you had reached a bottom and you needed to do what you needed to do? Well, 2000 to 2005 was a critical piece of that. I, have a, I had evidence. A friend of mine had gone to this chiropractor for nutritional counseling, which had removed the symptoms of her fibromyalgia. So I thought, well, maybe I'm having chronic sinus headaches for a reason that I can't get at with Western medicine. So I went to see this chiropractor and he said, you're addicted to sugar and wheat. Mm. It's causing a fungus in your body to be fed. And as long as you put sugar and wheat in your body, that fungus is going to lead the show and you will be, it will drive you crazy until you pick up foods with that in it. Now I thought this is crazy, but I'll try his, you know, crazy um, cleanse 
and see what happens. And I did that for three months and I didn't have any sinus infections after 16 years of taking decongestants every day. Mm. I, to the best of what I understood, I stayed away from sugar, but of course I really didn't know all the disguised words for sugar on ingredients labels. So I really wasn't, I came to find out, but I was staying away from, you know, white buns and bread and so I was working at an event down at the convention center in the city, in the metro area I live in, and airports, convention centers, they just did not have accommodating clean food uh, at that time. So someone was going to get my lunch. I said, I'll take a chicken salad. They, they thought I said chicken sandwich. And they brought back a chicken sandwich and fries. Mm. And I hadn't eaten because I hadn't had a plan. I hadn't eaten since six in the morning when I got there and it was two in the afternoon. And so planning is a key to protect my freedom. Mm -hmm. Planning is a key and committing to another human being is a key. But what happened was I went into another cycle that I could not get out of from that event in June, six months after I'd started that cleanse, mm-hmm. when I had lost some weight, I was things were going well. And I couldn't get back to trying to stay away from the sugar. And, and so it took a year and a half later yeah. of that game right. again, of trying to control it myself and make it happen. And standing in GNC humiliated or standing in some other professional situation, you know, humiliated. None of it took me back to um, what ultimately was my truth. There's just some ingredients that my body responds differently to. Mm -hmm. And as long as I put them in my body, it's going to get bad again. Right. And, And it sounds like you were doing pretty well. But as we know, as we work our programs that we have to be prepared and that if you're really hungry and you've got a chicken sandwich and fries in front of you, you know, you're at risk. And then it sounds like it took a while for you to get back. And then was it 2005 then where you said, okay, enough, I'm going to work and work this program and really be, really be committed to it. And that's a long time. That's a long time to be abstinent. So was that a bottom then for you? It was. Okay. The night eating had started again. Thankfully, I didn't go back to the sugar or wheat, but I know I was on my way back to it. Mm-hmm. And I just knew that uh, it. I'm a compulsive eater. I'm not just a sugar addict yeah. and just a wheat, white flour. I am a compulsive eater. And if my life is expanding, which we would all hope it would, then I am going to be compulsively putting something in my mouth to soothe and the healthy food I couldn't control either. Yeah. Were you a volume eater, like large volumes? Definitely. Yeah, me too. Definitely. So it's not, it it is complicated. It's not just the the ingestion of sugar or or wheat or trigger foods uh, that, that sets up the brain chemistry and the allergy. Uh, it is using food emotionally uh, too, and so compulsive overeating is part of it. But when you say you work a twelve-step program, and I do as well, to stay abstinent, you know, every day, and to make sure that we don't go back to the life <laughs> we had uh, with sugar addiction and weighing, you know, you had one hundred, nearly one hundred pounds. I had seventy pounds that I was carrying around, and really, we were slowly killing ourselves with food. Right? I mean, I th- think you'd agree with that. But what is working a twelve-step program, and is this what we talk about recovery from this disease? What does that mean for you? What do you do every day to stay abstinent, recovered? So, number one, I remember the powerlessness of all of those decades of my experiment, the experiment that I ran and how it, I decided that it wasn't giving me freedom. Unlimited food meant limited life. Hmm. Limited food has meant unlimited life. Oh, I love that. As, As long as the limited food comes with the heart to know that we can do it Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. and 
it's, it is a language of the heart that transforms um, what I used to eat at. And now I get to work on building a life that I don't want to escape through the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what recovering today is for me, mm-hmm. is recovering my thinking to get back to the I can, I ought to, I I will right now right. stay in the moment and be in the moment for myself that I might you know, put the, the oxygen mask on myself first, mm-hmm. that I can be of use to my loved ones, my community, mm-hmm. and the work I do in the world. Mm-hmm. So what do you do every day just logistically to stay recovered in this disease? So I plan my meals. I, I am working. So I have my lunches ready for the work days. Typically by Sunday, end of day, I've got my lunches for the week and any dinners that I need to bring with me uh, on evenings where I go right to family or work or other activities. So I, I know what I need in the house. I plan to have it in the house. I, you know, organize my shopping just because I am working, you know, around the weekends typically and making sure that I have available the foods that bring enduring energy and are on my food plan Mm -hmm. is number one. That's my Mm -hmm. step zero. Sure. Secondly, I incorporate the support of others by others who also have decided that they're committed, uh, reaching out, talking with three people a day, that suffer from the same compulsion when we can, where we can, for as many seconds as we are able with the rest of our lives. And I've found that it has brought, again, that expansion of life rather than contraction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You talked about the powerlessness, and that's hard for people who you know, are used to having some control or power, you know, and we have all this evidence that we, we diet, we lose weight, but then we gain it back. And so what's going on, and there's a whole surrender that goes on, right, in 12-step work, where it's like, I can't do this on my own. I I have tried. I, uh, you know, it was a fair fight, you know, and I lost. And so I need support, I need help. And I do, you do, which is, um, you know, I talk to people in uh, a 12-step program. I make sure that I um, plan my food. I weigh and measure my food. I, 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 do you do that as well? I do. Yeah. Um, so, and then what we do, you know, in 12-step work and in recovery is rather than using food to help us deal with life, um, is we use a program of recovery, and that's what, uh, that's the beauty of this. And that's that unlimited life you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. So we know that using the steps, um, that as, as we talked about, we're powerless over our food use and, um, that once we start eating sugar again, uh, I've been clean from sugar and compulsive food behaviors and trigger foods since, 2017, and I think it's been much longer for you. Congratulations in getting in, probably when I should have. <laughs> but um, as we work this program, we learn that um, there are causes and conditions that uh, caused us to eat. And you talked about the past trauma in your life. And, um, y- you know, I used to think when I would be on a diet for a while that once I lose weight, life will be perfect. And it never was, you know, it never, it never was. And our lives are not perfect. Now things come up relationships. We get scared about things. We get angry with people. And yet, um, what were the causes and conditions? Talk about that, the emotional aspect of this and how you use the program today. Thank you, Susan. Yes. Ultimately I have to find new words to self really i didn't i didn't realize that i was talking myself into soothing my whole life i was talking myself into that self talk 
And the beautiful thing about finding new words that resonate for you and that feed your life-givingness. You know, I love the idea of grounding by just feeling my pulse because there is no way that I can deny that I did not make this heartbeat all night long as I was sleeping. I did not make my lungs breathe all night long. So, wow, that's a new concept. Like getting grounding back to the life-givingness that is the very essence of every human being mm -hmm. and are the words that I am thinking that I'm holding right now, words of a nature that is strengthening that life that's clearly in me that I'm not making happen. And that groundedness has been a key, you know, ancient, ancient history has absolutely laid out that, that cultures have move forward through much greater difficulties mm -hmm. than I have ever experienced yeah. through the use of words and belief. Mm -hmm. And, and I feel like having a uniting community mm -hmm. that has a new theme for my thinking yeah. that I can always turn to in literature or over the phone I need to write that on my soul. So mm -hmm. writing has been critical. Yeah, I write right. every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I believe that has helped me to build a life I don't want to escape. Right. In that it starts to retrain the words. Yeah. To self. So yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, so talk about um. You know, you, you said to me, you, and I love this, you never knew how free you could be. What, what do you mean? What is your life like now in recovery? I feel like my heart is more open, which means it's more open to pain, but it's more open to being a light in the situation of the moment than it ever could be when I was trying to protect myself through the use of food. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's, I guess, where I would say freedom starts, mm -hmm. is if I can be free to be hurt, to get bloodied in the arena <laughs> and stand back up. Yeah, so you're, you are married, you have a child, and uh, you, you're successful in your life, and... You know, I don't know about you. I, I would guess that you would not be able to do that if you weren't in recovery from food oh, absolutely. addiction, right? Yeah, we can't absolutely. have this life without without uh, this life of happiness and peace, serenity, groundedness, right? And uh, and things come up. Life happens. Uh, people people um, don't do what we want them to do. We we have but we have a program of recovery. We don't have to eat over it any longer. So what, what message would you give, uh, as we wrap up here, um, what kind of hope would you give to perhaps the still suffering food addict, compulsive overeater that might be listening? No matter where you're at on your journey with food addiction, it can be different now. Mm -hmm. It can be different. Yeah. And your own story is all you need to determine that it needs to be different and there are solutions out there mm -hmm. that are spiritually based that you can consider and i believe that is a key to understand you know what was i seeking ppts won't do it people places and things won't do it and, and I'll just close with that. I had a dear coworker that um, got the gastric bypass, had never been alcoholic, had only been expressing through food addiction and uh, got gastric bypass, couldn't eat the way she, she had 
um, was gaining weight, but turned to alcohol to try to soothe and, um, and is no longer with us on the planet. Mm. And so there's your own path and let your heart guide you to it. And the knowing that, yes, there is this very real bodily allergy that may be causing mm-hmm. the insanity you're feeling with food. Yeah. Yeah. There are some pretty drastic things people try to do. Um, not only dieting, exercising, but, but physical surgery, you know, gastric bypass. And what you're saying is there is, it is true. Um, I talked to Dr. Marty Lerner at Milestones in Recovery and he said the same thing, that gastric bypass patients, yes, their stomach is much smaller. They, they're not able to eat the volumes, but they can still drink pretty heavily. And if they're medicating themselves with food and now they need something else, they can become you know, pretty severe alcoholics. And it sounds like maybe that's what happened. Yes. Mm. Yes. It was tragic. Yeah. Very bright woman. Yeah. Tragic. Mm -hmm. And that is, I know that's my story. If I don't find a solution that hits at the mental, Mm -hmm. the spiritual, the physical and emotional bodily health and emotional. Yeah. The affairs of my life. Right. And the emotional, social. Well, there is a solution, and thank God you found it, and thank thank our higher power and and God Absolutely. of our understanding. Um, thank thank them, him that we found it, and uh, I'm glad to be, you know, on this journey with you. Um, you too. Yeah. And if there's anybody listening to this that can relate to us, I just wish you that you follow follow your heart, follow your evidence. Yeah. You know, like I had. And, mm-hmm. and follow your heart because you you will find the answer that's right for yeah. you. There are solutions. There is hope. There is hope for a life like this. So, Sonia, thank you. Thank you for joining me today. It's been great. And um, I'm really happy that uh, you agreed to do this. Yeah. Thank you, Susan. Yeah. Thank you for doing this work. This is the Food Addiction Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and learned more about this disease. We hope you will rate and write a review on this podcast and share it with others. If you or someone you know is suffering from the disease of food addiction, there is a solution. The various food addiction recovery programs are available and listed on the website, theinfactschool.com. Or if you would like to know more about how to get certified in treating food addiction, the school is accepting applications now for its next training beginning in September 2023. Go to theinfactschool.com. That's I-N-F-A-C-T school.com to learn more.